0: Well, I remember being at uh, one of the Christmas craft shows in Halifax a number of years ago, uh, and there was a particular business that, that sure looked like it had hit the jackpot because everyone who went by their booth seemed to be picking up a, a T-shirt or a sweatshirt. And um, we'll get my PowerPoint up there, Joel, and I'll show you them a picture of what one of these looked like. And I'm sure people have, have seen these ones around. It was, it was these guys, the, just the, the word home with the outline of the... Nova Scotia in place of the O. And these actually started here in Nova Scotia, but now uh, this company has versions in every province and territory and a whole lot more. And so, you know, if it doesn't bother you that the shape of your province doesn't resemble an O in any way, you can kind of join the club and, uh, you know, represent your home in that particular way. And, And that was a good business idea because many people are powerfully attached to wherever they call home. It holds a special attraction to us. Now, where you're from is sort of a funny thing to be proud of if you think about it because none of us get any say at all in where we're born or or raised but our our home shapes us and it forms us in a way that normally creates this deep connection and there's nothing wrong with a love of home Uh, C.S. Lewis in his book The Four Loves has a, a definition of a patriotism which he just says is the love of country the love of the familiar the love of home And it's a love that we have despite the limitations and the inadequacies and the sins of our nation or home. It's a love that moves us to try to preserve what is good and improve what is broken and be willing to share and sacrifice for the sake of the people of our homeland. And Lewis put his money where his mouth was in this regard. He volunteered to fight in the British Armed Forces in both world wars, which, you know, get thinking about the time difference in between there. And in his version of... Of patriotism he said you also develop an empathy and an understanding for people from other places who of course also love their homes. This stands opposed to beliefs or ideologies that sees any one nation or race or culture as the superior one while anything other is lesser. And that's there's an important difference between this and nationalism which is kind of on the rise in some places which is being talked about more because that really has to do with one group gaining power at the expense of somebody else but c.s lewis believed that we should have a grateful acceptance for where god has placed us and a respect for others whom god has placed elsewhere and that seems good and right to me but there's a missing ingredient that followers of jesus need to keep in mind in all this which is that our earthly home is not actually our true home it's just where we reside for now And so I'm going to read most of Philippians chapter 3 in a moment. That's going to capture the context and flow of the teaching best, but I'm going to zero in on the end of this selection, on what it means for followers of Jesus and our sense of home that our citizenship is in heaven, as the passage says. So if you want a moment to to read along, it'll be on the screen, but if you want to pull that up in your own Bible or device, Philippians chapter 3, and I'll be reading from verse 7 down through verse 21. Verse 21. the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For I, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. So we'll walk through this a little bit. And the first part of this reading is really about being just all in on Jesus. This teaching was given by the Apostle Paul largely in response to, to an issue with false teachers that was going on in the city of Philippi. And the consensus seems to be that the problem was these legalists, these likely these Jewish believers who were convinced that they were doing everything right and everybody else ought to be very impressed and be more like them. And many people have a, a family member or a, a coworker like this, right? Someone who just, is just amazing because they always have the right answer to everything. Well, what Paul tries to get across to the people he was writing to, people who were at risk of being led astray by these teachers, was that, look, it is all about Jesus and nothing else counts. Because Paul was the most accomplished guy around, really. He had the best education. He was mentored by the most accomplished Pharisee. He came from the best Jewish bloodlines. He had proven himself again and again. He had experienced miracles. He had performed miracles. He'd done all of it. And he tells us what he thinks about the importance of all this. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And these opponents of Paul seem to think, I guess, that they were pretty spiritually perfect. And Paul talks about not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He knows that you can't follow enough rules to earn God's favor. That we're often blind to the full extent of our own sin, and so his hope is not in his ability to do this right, but in the righteousness of God who chooses to uh, to forgive us, to show us grace, to make us right with Him because of our faith in Jesus. And Paul didn't think that he would ever be someone who knew God perfectly and lived the exact life that he should, but he said that was that was still the goal. See, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Not that I've already obtained all this. Not that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on. And then he continues by saying, all of this, all of us then, sorry, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Okay, take, take what view of things? And I think it's the view that you should be all in on Jesus, that knowing Jesus, that growing in that relationship with Jesus, that giving your all to be like Jesus is what counts. And all the other stuff, all of the things that the world can give, whether it's approval or fame or riches or power or comfort, is garbage to Paul. Only let us live up to what we've already obtained. Now what about people who are not sold on Jesus as Paul is? And he says, For as I have often told you before, I now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And so, Paul hates that it's true, but he knows that there are people, including people among the Christian community in Philippi, he's not just talking about the outside, people outside the church He's saying, you know, there are people, even among us, who they are not actually submitting their lives to Jesus, right? Their mind is set on earthly things. They want to indulge themselves in in food and drink or become popular or influential. It's not that they they don't want Jesus, first and foremost. So they'll use Jesus' name, hoping to get things that they want out of that association, but they don't possess this personal faith. They don't have a true union, which... Paul describes when he says things like, I want to know Christ. I want to gain Christ. I'm willing to suffer like Christ so that I can attain the resurrection from the dead like Christ. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. There's just so much of this language. But our citizenship is in heaven. And that's how Paul describes those with this sincere faith who are all in on Jesus. And there's a lot packed into that statement, and that's what I'm going to spend a little bit of time with uh, today because I think that has something to say for those of us who want to be a disciple of Jesus and to really wrestle with what that means. So, at the risk of stating the obvious, if our citizenship is in heaven, then this world, then this nation, this community are not our true home. And there's an argument that Christians could think of themselves as dual citizens of you know, the world and heaven, I suppose. But not really sure dual citizenship existed when Paul wrote this. So it might be better to think of ourselves as you know, resident aliens or expatriates or foreigners. But I actually kind of like the ring of a term that you see in the Old Testament in some translations, which is sojourner. And a sojourner is a temporary resident. It's someone who's away from home for a time, but they're, they're settled in where they are now, but they do expect to return. If our citizenship is in heaven, then we're, we're sojourners in this world. And we still have earthly homes. We may have love and affection for them, but they're, I guess, more like homes away from home. We don't fully belong. And this is not the only passage that points to this idea that as sojourners we should not treat this world as our true home and that something better awaits. We can look at First or Hebrews sorry, 13, which says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek this city that is to come, which fits Second Peter three thirteen, which says, "According to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells." And one thing we can see for sure about this new home is that we will be with Jesus there. Second Corinthians five one now says, "For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, then we have a building from God, a house not made with eternal or not made with hands, eternal." In the heavens, right? So it's just a tent for now; it's temporary. But there's a solid building, a true true house that's coming, eternal in the heavens. A little later in the same same book, it says that uh, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, considering how often this pops up in the New Testament, I was thinking that you know maybe I could even cash in on uh, this with some of the, you know, Christian merch could be a, a profitable business. So I thought maybe I can design my own shirt and just get, uh, get heaven in there a little bit. So that's the, that's the first mock-up, just the prototype. But, you know, I was thinking if, you know, $50 a pop maybe we could, uh, could really make something out of this. So this belief that we have a true heavenly home where we will be with God this gave courage to the early Christians to refuse to deconvert from faith in Jesus despite the threat of execution. You know, The church is still here. The church grew and spread in part because of the peace and confidence that some of these early Christians had when they faced persecution or even certain death. And then the onlookers saw the spiritual power that was on display in their faith. And by, in case you imagine that this is a thing of the past, you should know that you know, there are dozens of christians across the world who are killed who are unjustly arrested who are abducted whose churches are attacked every single day every day and that's the most conservative estimate hundreds of millions of christians right now are living in countries where they're heavily persecuted and that situation got worse through the pandemic because there were a lot of countries that discriminated against christian minorities when it came to who would get food and other aid when it was time to distribute that And so we could ask, why do these Christians suffer like this? Keep professing faith in Jesus when they could make it stop just by asserting their loyalty to Hinduism or Islam or to the Chinese government or to whatever it is. And it's because they believe what we heard Peter declare to Jesus in our service last Sunday. You remember, you have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So part of that belief, a part that uh, gives us strength in times of danger or suffering or uncertainty or loss, is that there's still a homecoming that's awaiting us. The reason the Bible says that we're not supposed to grieve the way that the world grieves when a loved one dies is because of our belief that they're not lost to us. They're now just waiting in their new home. Our citizenship is in heaven, is the conclusion of this (coughs) passage. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So when we come to faith in Jesus, we're given a new life, new citizenship, and we look forward with hope then to the promise of the resurrection and the new home that we'll inhabit in the presence of God. This is one of the wonderful rights of citizenship. But of course, citizenship doesn't just come with rights, it also comes with responsibilities. Right, as Canadians, we have rules and laws and obligations that come with our earthly citizenship. So there are rules for driving vehicles, for owning property. Canadian citizens can be drafted into the military or required to serve on a jury. And of course, we're obligated to apologize for anything that might have possibly been our fault, and we can never speak ill of the tragically hip, right? Those are the rules as Canadians. And if you follow those rules, you can put a Canadian flag patch on your backpack when you're traveling so that you don't suffer the terrible indignity of being mistaken for an American. What are the rules for citizens of heaven when they are sojourning in other lands? And a a big part of many of Paul's letters to the various churches is this challenge to pull out all the stops to be a heavenly citizen who is set apart from the people around them because of their faith. Citizens of heaven should stand out. Because if someone is sojourning, if they're away from home, then usually that person will speak differently and dress differently and think a little differently than the people who are native to wherever they're living. And this should be so for Christians as well. And the Bible tells us how we would be different in these ways. How should we dress differently? Well, that's in the book of Colossians. It says, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, not on earthly things. And therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's in Colossians three, and then Colossians four tells us how we would speak differently. It says, let your conversations be gracious and attractive, so that you will have the right response for everyone. And then, how should we think differently? If we jump now to the book of romans we read do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and so part of having a heavenly citizenship is recognizing that the culture that we are immersed in it cannot be trusted to work for our good it doesn't mean that every single thing in the culture around us is bad but that on the whole we should not and must not trust that uh, the cultural currents of our time will work for our good. In Paul's theology, there are only two kingdoms, There is God's kingdom, where he rules, and there is earth, where at the moment, Satan rules. We are not in friendly territory, and therefore we should not get too comfortable. You know, God is allowing this to be the state of affairs for now. Satan gets kicked out later, but, you know, that's the... That's the, the way that Paul describes what's going on. <coughs> now, there's a, One of the great Baptist preachers is Charles Spurgeon, and he, uh, he preached on this, and he was just so very wary of Christians being overly invested in their world, their culture, especially in power or politics or in the hoarding of wealth or even in seeking or receiving honors and accolades from the foreign land that we're living in, because he said that's just not appropriate behavior for a sojourner, for a visitor, for a foreigner. I in our culture today, we are often tempted to pursue not just freedom, but autonomy. Right? Autonomy, that's getting to do whatever you want kind of on your terms, without regard for anyone else, for God or for others. And it's very much opposed to what we see Paul write to the Philippians as well. Go one chapter earlier than where we just read, and he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. Our culture, I think, is also increasingly becoming a culture of fear. We are constantly being told of this threat and that danger and being warned that these terrible things will happen because of this politician or that corporation. And our 24-hour news thing has made this much worse because as our human brains are actually wired to pay it much more attention to bad news than to good news. Because knowing the bad things might help you survive, but knowing the good things, you know, it's just nice, but it doesn't really matter in that way. And so we're very attuned to the bad. And there are real troubles in this world, but the proper response for a citizen of heaven is not fear or despair, but trust in God. The big picture stuff is God's department. If he's still sovereign over the whole universe, which he is, then you don't have to be afraid of what happens next. You keep living as God asked you, you keep loving as God showed you, and we trust God with the rest. And personally, I'd also like to see citizens of heaven be a, a curious people. See, if you first arrive in a foreign land, it would be a good idea to be curious, to figure out why these people live this way and how, and what are the customs, and how, how do these folks think? And rather than just, you know, refusing to have any understanding of what's going on around you. But our culture, it loves easy answers, and it feeds on outrage and mockery. That's really what's happened, and and social media has done a lot of that. And so I find the fact that there are people who think that Christianity is foolishness because basically they've they've seen some 20-year-old YouTuber or TikTok star disprove it in a three-minute video that they watched one time, and that's because that's, you know, all you need to be sure that a 2,000-year-old religion embraced by some of the smartest people who've ever lived is totally wrong. But that's, that's kind of our standard of investigation now. Well, I, saw, I saw a video clip when I was scrolling Facebook one time. I now know the answer to this question. And, of course, some Christians aren't better than that, right? We, we sometimes go around with ignorance, uh, ignorant assumptions. We sometimes have a serious allergy to complexity within the church. And it should not be that way. If our true home is in heaven and we want other people to find their way to Jesus as we have, well then it shouldn't be too much to ask that we would try to understand where they're coming from or to have a mature understanding of what we believe for that matter so we don't sound foolish when we're trying to explain it to others. The rights of citizenship in heaven are wonderful. It's eternal life and nothing less. Uh, but anybody who truly believes they're going to enjoy these rights needs to embrace the obligations as well. Christians should dress differently, metaphorically, speak differently, and think differently. Not that any of us have already obtained this or arrived at this goal, but we should press on and take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of us. All right, one other thing while we should be uncomfortable in our home away from home, that doesn't mean we don't try to bless it. We shouldn't embrace the culture around us, but we should embrace the people that we encounter as we sojourn. And so you might have heard this expression at some point that, you know, there are people who are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. And it's, it's kind of a character of some kind of, you know, Christian who kind of just, you know, wanders around being all excited about god and just you know says i'll pray for you i'll pray for that i'll pray for this and whether they pray or not they sure don't do much but i want to suggest that that is not actually possible like you cannot be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good because if you are genuinely heavenly minded if you believe in jesus if you want to really know jesus if you trust that you will be with jesus forever and wish to take after him now but nobody who believes that is no earthly good You do a lot more earthly good when you're not worried so much about your earthly comfort or status, when you desire to love others with the love of Jesus. Heavenly-minded people who know that this world is not their true home are, in fact, the most generous and compassionate and dedicated people that you'll find. People who really mean it when they pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So being earthly good by loving and serving others as part of our citizenship. And we can even trace that back to the Old Testament when the exiled Israelites were told, they were told to live as strangers in a strange land in Babylon by God who commanded them. He said, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. That's in Jeremiah 29. So, I mean, we would, of course, be here all day if I quoted every passage about showing generosity and compassion to those around us, but we'll read 1 Timothy 6, which speaks of this citizenship matter by saying, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we will take nothing out of it. So command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that truly is life. And that's a great way of putting it, isn't it? To take hold of the life that truly is life, not the life that thinks that wealth is life or the life that thinks that travel is life or the life that thinks that the Canadian dream is life and then finds out at some point that that wasn't as much life as they wanted. He's talking about a life of radical generosity and service that's an investment in what is to come. Treasure in heaven, which also happens to enrich life on earth. And then one other, other thing. Sorry, but the church is meant to help us in this Uh, churches should be like little embassies It's like a little bit of heavenly soil surrounded by the foreign land that we sojourn in And so we step In for a reminder of our true home to be strengthened and to live as good examples of it Uh, This man named james smith who wrote this about worship and its importance He said that the church is the place where god invites us to renew our loves to reorient our desires and to retrain our appetites It's where we come together with others to remember that it is all about Jesus, and the rest, in fact, is garbage. It's also where we can commune with our fellow citizens, which can be a great joy and a great relief, too. I don't know if you've had that experience of traveling in a different country, maybe someplace where you don't really speak the language, and then you bump into some fellow Canadians, or, you know, in a pinch, maybe some Brits or Australians or Americans will do, too. And it's just such a relief, because... You can talk easily with them. You make sense to each other. You can help each other along the journey and share knowledge that you need. And if you'd bumped into these people in Halifax, you would not have cared at all. You might not have been interested in meeting them or being their friend. But, you know, when you're far from home, you can become immediate friends. And citizens of heaven recognize each other by the way that they dress and speak and think. Or they do if their minds aren't set on earthly things. And so I want to just end with three questions to challenge you if you are a follower of Jesus. If you're a, a heavenly citizen, well, here is a heavenly citizenship test that we can just do quickly for our own selves. And the, the first question is simply this, that if somebody could track the way that you use all of your time and all of your money, and even what you spent your time thinking about and dwelling on, would they come to the conclusion that your mind is set on earthly things or that your citizenship is in heaven? Right? Or to put it another way, what is the evidence in your life that this is not your true home? That's question one. Question two is, what are the ways you represent your home so that other people notice that you are different? I guess it's related. But if, if somebody interviewed all your neighbors, your coworkers, your extended family, and asked... How is it that you can tell that this person is a follower of Jesus? What kind of answers would you expect them to give? How would they say, oh, I can tell that they're a follower of Jesus because? And the, the third question is, is this. It says, what, is, what makes you uncomfortable about this world, and what are you doing about it? Okay, it's not a two-part question in there. But what makes you uncomfortable about this world? What is wrong with it that you can tell is wrong with it, and what do you do about it? What are you learning more about? What are you spending your time, who are you spending your time in community with? Who are you serving as a result of that? How are we blessing our adopted home? So, what makes you uncomfortable about this world? And then what are you doing about it? So those are those are three questions that can rattle around a little bit as I pray for the Holy Spirit to work on each one of us. Let's let's go to him in prayer. Lord Jesus, you, you call us to something higher, to something more. It is not enough to just live in this world as everyone else does, believing that we now have the password to the gates of heaven, and that's, that's all we need. But no, you, you call us to have the life of Jesus within us, which then is expressed to those around us. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to look at this world a little differently. Not that we shouldn't love and have affection for our home here, but that we should not forget that our true home is with you. That's what we're aiming for. That's where we will ultimately go. And therefore, we should not get too comfortable, too immersed, too caught up in the things of this world. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to see clearly if there are ways in which we are using what you've given us that isn't very reflective of our citizenship in heaven. Help us to see those things and be wise about how we could change it. If, Lord Jesus, we are not living in such a way, if we don't express any of those fruit of the Spirit in a a way that other people recognize and, and notice, that they would never even guess that we're followers of Jesus, Lord God, help us to change that. Help us to bring you into our relationships with others. And God, when we see things that we know are wrong with this world, that we know it's not supposed to be this way, will that help us to see the part that you would give and making that a little better. And the thing that we could learn more about in order to help and the way that we could give of some of our resources or our time or our prayer, just make us aware that we're not simply to, to float along in this world, getting what we want out of it as best we can. And so help us to see those things that are wrong with this world and be part of doing something about it. Give us the strength, I pray. Give us the courage. Give us the wisdom for these things. And help us each day to walk through this world recognizing that it's good news that this is not our true home. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.